The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Thursday edition of The Yard. I'd hope to plan a show yesterday. The day got away from me, and uh, we had some some family drama to deal with. Not my immediate family, but uh, you know how it is. I mean, you know, when you're invested in people and their well-being and you love them, you know, sometimes things happen. And that um, was kind of the case. I'd planned to record yesterday after our media opportunity with uh, Coach Zach Arnett. We had a chance to speak to all 10 assistants yesterday. Pretty crazy, right? So we got all that, and you can find that content for free over at jeanspage.com. Mike Nemeth has already posted the uh, Zach Arnett Q&A from yesterday, which was about staffing changes and about, uh, you know, signing day, a lot of stuff. He covered a lot of ground. I thought Arnett absolutely crushed it. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, But it was good to see everybody. David Turner, last time I saw David Turner was in Gainesville, Florida back in 2019. I was there to cover Mississippi State, Florida baseball. Jake Mangum uh, hit a big home run that weekend. We should have swept the series, but we didn't. We won two out of three. But anytime you can get two out of three from the Gators, it's a big deal, especially on road. But uh, DT's back, and uh, I say this because I think it's important to understand, and I I touched on this on Bo Bound's show this morning. Nobody has a more impressive recruiting resume when it comes to defensive linemen when it, in Mississippi prospects than David Turner. The guy signed Chris Jones. Guy said uh, Montez Sweat. He got Fletcher Cox, Josh Boyd. Got Jeff Simmons. Didn't get to coach Jeff. But David Turner understands the wars that, you know, are part of Mississippi recruiting. We kind of touched on that yesterday. And, um, Next segment of the show, we're going to talk more about Jonathan Davis and David Turner's role and all that. But it's good to see those guys back. Greg Knox is here. Greg Knox tells me that uh, he did, in fact, move his family to Florida. They're back, and his two twin boys now, uh, freshmen, played on a freshman football team at Starville High School. I can only begin to imagine how Coach Chris Jones is excited about those two young guys. And uh, Greg's oldest son is uh, 20 and now a student at Mississippi State. So Greg is back. 
the infectious smile and personality of Greg Knox. Having him back is tremendous. But um, it's good, again, to be around everybody because it seemed like, okay, now it's a little more normal. Right? It is. It's been a, shall we say, tumultuous couple months for Mississippi State football. I mean, yeah, we win the golden egg. We're all on top of the world. It's like, hey, we eight and four regular season. We got the egg back. We're going to go to a Florida ball game somewhere. Everything is great. Let's get into recruiting. Let's build toward next year. We've got a chance to win 10 games next year. And then Mike Leach unexpectedly passes away. And it seemed like ever since then, it's been a roller coaster. But one of the things that I think is important to understand is Zach Arnett has answered the bell every single time. Every time. And just when it seems like maybe something bad's going to happen, we're going to reach on an offensive coordinator. Maybe perhaps we're not going to make the, make the right move with recruiting. We're going to have our roster poached. None of that happened. And the guy that I believe you can credit above all is Zach Arnett. And give Dr. Mark Keenum and Bracky Brett, who was the interim AD at the time, a lot of credit for making the decision to promote Zach Arnett from interim head coach to full-time head coach. Now, we're not paying him a fortune yet. I mean, relative to his peers, I mean, the guy's making $3 million a year. That's a lot of cheese, right? But the reality of it is your administration made the move to preserve your football program, and Zach Arnett has made them look incredibly intelligent during the time he's been your head football coach. And again, you know, final segment of the show, we're going to talk about some of the things he discussed yesterday. But uh, I haven't got a text message from a couple people in the administration after a press conference. One of them said, Zach crushed that press conference. And he absolutely did. And listen, I want to win on the field. I'm, I'm not so um, enamored with winning the press conference per se. But I think what we're seeing with Zach is you're seeing – his vision for your football program, and it matches ours. A lot of people come in and they think they know better than everybody else, and sometimes they do. Other times they don't. But Zach Arnett is checking all the boxes. Zach is a blue-collar guy, walked on as a baseball player at the University of New Mexico, made the decision to uh, give football a try. Makes a team, ends up being a star player there, impresses Coach Rocky Long. Rocky then brings him with him as a GA and eventually as a linebacker's coach and ultimately a defensive coordinator. And so in many ways, Zach Garnett kind of embodies the Mississippi State story. He's kind of been discounted, kind of overlooked, under-recruited, under, you know, undervalued, disrespected. And so he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got a little something to prove. I think he's off to a great start. And I'll be honest with you. I was in favor of promoting them because it seemed like the right move at the time. But the more time that we're removed from that emergent situation, the better this move looks. We didn't just do it to navigate through the difficult circumstance. It's like, okay, let's do this. We'll get the signing class put to bed. But then you look at the staff that he's assembled, and you just kind of look at the trajectory of the program right now. There's a lot of optimism. I think you are right to be optimistic about Mississippi State football. I think that's fair. I think it's important. I think it's important that everybody understands that we have made the right decision here. Now, the proof is going to be in the pudding, right? Press conferences are great. Recruiting efforts have been great. Assembling a staff has been great. It's going to matter what happens on the field. But based on the evidence that's currently available to us, how could anybody not be overjoyed 
about what Zach Arnett has done to date. Pretty incredible stuff. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I do. My son works there. He's having a great time. And some of you have gone in and asked him, hey, are you Steve's son? I guess maybe there is some type of resemblance. I don't need to go on Maury Povich to know he's my kid. Um, but he's having a great time. And like every day he comes home, and he's like, I'm so glad I've got work friends, people I can do stuff with. I enjoy the people that I'm working with. And that says a lot about the culture. It says a lot about that organization. Because he's a teenager. I mean, you know, he's an angsty teenager, right? Not compared to me. I mean, I, I set the record on all that. But uh, my point being is that I think that, you know, the mood and the maybe the attitude of employees says a lot about where they work. And every day I got, you know, Bulldog Burger Company in my refrigerator, you know, like the leftovers. But the reality of it is, is that I think people that have fun at the place they work traditionally are working at a place that does a great job. And that's Bulldog Burger Company. I love that place. I loved it long before they loved me. And there's three great locations to serve you. Of course, University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by, have a spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. That's the secret, right? That's the secret to looking young as you age. It's in writing. It's trust the science is what they tell us, right? Get the chocolate shake to go, maybe the bread pudding to go. You'd be glad you did. The great restaurant quality hamburgers, and that's a thing too. It's a fine delicacy we afford ourselves. And maybe sometimes you're thinking, hey, the kids want a burger. Maybe I'm not feeling a burger. You know, you can get your burger on a bed of lettuce. You can get it on a gluten-free bun, or you can get those chicken wings. I, sometimes I get that as the appetizer. And sometimes I get it as an entree. I get the whole thing. I just bring the whole thing home, kid. Get that in some ranch and some wet naps. I'll knock this bad boy out, you know. I love the diversity of the menu. You know, of course, it's a burger joint, but it's got a lot of other cool things. That lunch portion for the Sloppy Joe sliders is kind of a favorite for me. I, I, like, I like it a lot. I really do. Very filling. The BLT salad was added out. My favorite salad. I never finished it. I get it grilled. You may like it fried. But no matter what you're hankering for today, Bulldog Burger Company can help you with that, even if it's an adult beverage or whatever. A night out with friends, a night out with family, no better place than Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right. So we added a couple of high school signees yesterday. Of course, there were some transfers announced. I didn't, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to, until I talk to Ryan, I'm a Ryland, I'm not going to know for sure. I've heard it's Gouda. I've heard it's Goody. I've heard it's Goaty. I think it's Goaty. I think. I think it's Goaty. Somebody will message me and tell me. And that's what's interesting. I've had three different people message me, and all of them have given me different pronunciations. So maybe somebody that knows Ryland will reach out and say, hey, this is how they pronounce it. Because we want to get it right. Because, you know, I stumbled through uh, George Jeropolis throughout football season. I don't want to do that. I want to be top shelf. Uh, But we did have a couple of high school signees yesterday. Not a lot of trepidation around Will James. Uh, I, I want to run some things down for you about Will James. We've talked about him a little bit on the show. I'm a Will James fan. And there's always like one player in each class that, uh, you know, you kind of feel like maybe you like better than everybody else, right? And maybe nobody's really talking about him. For me, it's Will James. Even though he's a, a new entrant to our family, I like him a lot. 
Now, he injured, he broke a collarbone in game one and then didn't come back to later in the year. He played in the playoffs and, um, yeah, did a good thing. But uh, just kind of running down the offer sheet here with him, this is a guy that got a ton of early offers based on his junior film. None of them were power five. He was a G5 guy. But, I, again, I talk to people that I trust. And he goes, you know what, Steve? This is a guy that was just kind of lying in the reeds, committed to Southern Miss, that is really a power five player. And had he been healthy the entire year, he probably gets that Auburn offer that he wanted. In the end, they elected not to offer. They, they would have taken him as a preferred walk-on, and who wouldn't? And there's no way he turns down Power 5 offers to go be a walk-on anywhere, nor should he. But this is a guy gives Southern Miss a lot of credit. They got on him early. They got him committed. They weren't able to keep him. But the reality of it is, is this is a guy that uh, was just kind of out there, you know, because he committed early. You know, a lot of people were, uh, you know, thinking, all right, you know, well, this is a guy that's smart. He understands his value. But instead, he's ended up signing with Mississippi State. But, um, you know, he camped at Southern Miss back in 2021, and they offer him December 4, 2021. So, two, you know, basically two cycles ago. You know, they were on him before the December signing period of 2021. Shortly thereafter, he gets South Alabama, Florida Atlantic, he commits to Southern Miss on March 7th. 100% committed to Southern Miss March 7th of 2022. Not even a year ago, but that's still a very early commitment for a G5 program like Southern Miss. A so good job for them. Shortly thereafter, Louisiana Monroe offers, UAB offers, and UAB was on him pretty good. Memphis then offers, Arkansas State offers, Alcorn State offers, Miles College, Coastal Carolina, probably the biggest offer to date. North Alabama, West Florida, and a lot of these smaller programs are kind of coming in. It builds a lengthy offer sheet, but really at that point, not much better than Southern Miss. UT Chattanooga gets involved. Troy gets involved. And then we get into the season. He breaks a collarbone. He misses the majority of the season, comes back, does a really good job late in the year, works some at running back. He's a very instinctive defensive back. He's not scared to hit people. I think he fits exactly what we want him to do. Could be a safety. And of course, down the stretch, he picks up offers from, uh, you know, Indiana, Colorado. And as I said on Bo Bound Show, if Deion Sanders wants a defensive back, wants a corner, I do too. I do too. I'm going to defer to his level of expertise there. There's been nobody better in my generation than Deion Sanders. And so if Deion gets on him late, and they did want him to prolong the process, and he didn't, thankfully. That's a nice endorsement on our ability to evaluate. And, again, give Southern Miss and Will Hall and that staff a lot of credit. They identify a guy that uh, ultimately becomes a Power 5 signee. They're the first to offer him, and they actually had him committed for a while. Now, Will James is rated a composite of 84.37. Let me just tell you, that's a joke. I, my honest opinion is, this is one of the things I don't like about our industry. It's like, well, we know it's Southern Miss. How good can he be? We'll just throw like a default ranking on there. Well, the next thing you know, the kid plays his way into Power 5 opportunities, and his ranking is not commiserate with his ability. Just not. But again, down the stretch there, Colorado, Indiana, Mississippi State, took the official visits to Indiana, Mississippi State. I'm told geography played a factor too. Like he really didn't want to go that far away from home. It was his dream to play in a Southeastern Conference, and he does. 
But I wanted to lead with him because I think in many respects, because of the contentious recruiting battle between State and Ole Miss with Jonathan Davis, that Will James just kind of skirted through here and really didn't get his due. And I think I might have even called him Will Jones on the show the other day. And so I apologize to you and to Will. But I'm a fan. And maybe go back and watch his junior film because it, you know his senior film is somewhat limited. A lot of it is offensive snaps. He also you – know, could be a skilled kick returner. He has incredible foot speed. I don't know what he runs in the 100 meters, but I know when he gets the football and he sees open territory, he has a burst that gives him the opportunity to run away from people. So I think this is a guy will probably take him a year, get him healthy. You know, it's a collarbone deal. He'll be good to go by the time we get there. But my point being is we put a little mass on him. Maybe he plays some this year on special teams. Maybe he's a redshirt guy, plays in four games or so. But Will James, I believe, is going to be a contributor at Mississippi State. I do. I'm eager to see what he does. Does he land at safety? I mean, is he a Colin Duncan type guy? I think so. I think he ultimately moves to safety. And I think the fact that you, you've committed some scholarship spots to uh, the portal in the secondary this year, I think it's good to get some guys in the developmental pipeline. I think Will is a great late get for Mississippi State. What ended up having 14, 15 offers? I think we only have seven listed on his profile. But, I mean, the kid had some opportunities. None as good as Mississippi State. Now, could they be? But, you know, the fact that Indiana got him on a visit, you know, says a lot too. You know, Tom Allen, those guys do a good job up there too. They do. They didn't have a great year this past year, but they do a good job evaluating talent. And they've recruited in the South pretty well too. You know, we got, uh, you know, Chris Keyes from them out of Portal. But I like to get. Now, let's talk a little bit about Jonathan. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save... You can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Davis. There are a lot of people that have opinions about 
some of the things that went on that aren't really rooted in fact. And uh, here's the deal. We know we're all dependent on sources. But one of the things that I would point out is, you know, back on, um, I guess it was Monday, I was telling you guys it was really trending towards Ole Miss. And, you know, our peers, if we have any, but let's just call them, you know, our media peers on the Ole Miss side, they were hearing a lot of the same things I was hearing. And now I don't Now some of you have said, well, they're just parroting your information. I don't believe that because I talked to multiple people on Monday that uh, were close to the situation that said, hey, that Ole Miss did a great job on this kid. He's really confused. And this is, you know, a day removed from his official visit to state. And I was told, and of course, you know, there's always, you know, things change after the fact, right? I was told on Thursday or Friday morning that he had privately committed to Ole Miss at the conclusion of his visit on Thursday and that they were working to get him to cancel the visit. He didn't. He came on to Mississippi State. And then I got some reports that, you know, the visit was going pretty good, but he was still pretty enamored with Ole Miss. And, and the, here's the thing, too, that I'll say. And this may hurt some feelings, and that's okay. You can get glad in the same pair of pants you get mad at, right? To suggest that Ole Miss didn't make this interesting and that Ole Miss didn't have the momentum at times is really kind of disrespectful to your own staff, the job that they did. And if you talk to any of those coaches now after the fact, they will tell you how hard they had to work to get Jonathan Davis in the boat. David Turner. I spoke to him yesterday about it. And I said, you know, hey, you come right in and you're right back in the thick of things. And he goes, man, that's something. He goes, I hadn't been there two weeks and I'm already back in Mississippi recruiting. People that have worked this area, that recruit Mississippi, they understand how vicious things can get between State and Ole Miss on a recruiting trail. So DT made the difference. You know, I meant obviously – you know, number one, the kid really deep down wanted to come to Mississippi State. And, again, give Ole Miss some credit for even making it a race. They did. And then after a Monday night or Monday afternoon, the days run together after a while. Um, the family had a meeting, kind of laid out the pros and cons. Everybody had their say. And then State had the, the mojo. And then on Tuesday, uh, Lane Kiffin himself was involved trying to get – Jonathan Davis to be a rebel. You know, it's signing day eve. He was FaceTiming him at school. The Ole Miss staff continued to recruit him as they should. You know, nobody is suggesting they were doing anything improper. But anybody that thinks that State got this kid by default is kidding themselves. And anybody that, you know, that, that won't agree that at times in this recruitment Ole Miss had the lead is just ignorant of the facts. Mississippi State had to do a great job to get Jonathan Davis, and they did. Now, looking at Jonathan Davis's film, if you haven't done so, I encourage you to do so. He is a man among boys on the high school level. And again, like Will James, he was banged up some this year. So he was only 100% in a handful of games. And at times, they line up this 6'5", 305-pounder as an edge rusher. You kidding me? You know, a lot of guys that size don't have good change of direction. And so they may flush a quarterback or force him to step up, but they can't finish the play. Davis can finish the play. I do think he is more comfortable and more natural on the interior with his hand in the ground. You know, he does a great job with that swim move. He is a guy that, you know, 
reestablish his line of scrimmage. He will get out there and live in the backfield. I really like him. Now, can he play some this year? Well, yeah, he can. Will he play? That, that, that's going to depend on him, right? But I think you do see him on the field this year. Is it more than four games? I don't know. That's going to depend on him and how quickly he picks it up. Now, of course, he is – maybe his developmental curve is not as steep as maybe some other of his contemporaries because of the fact that he already has college-level size. He doesn't necessarily have college-level skill yet, but he certainly has Power 5 potential. I think this is a great get. I know many of you do too. And, and let's you – know, anytime at State and Ole Miss are together – in pursuit, all of a sudden, the kind of egos get involved, right? The optics matter. Let's remove that from the, the equation here. Okay, let's just completely forget about in-state recruiting and just watch the tape. Does Jonathan Davis make you a better football player over the course of the next four years? I'd say absolutely yes. He's not just another guy. He's not just a guy that's going to challenge for a spot on a two-deep. I think he can be a star. And you say, but Steve, you, you speak about him so, you know, eloquently and, and with such high praise. Why weren't we on him in December? Well, we were. We were. And he was a guy, too, a lot of people kind of taken a wait-and-see approach with. You know, Zach Arnett mentioned yesterday that he and Tony Hughes went down there to see him. And that was one of the things they took a picture together that he brought up late in the recruiting process is that, hey, we were here first. And that's the value of Tony Hughes. This is a guy that knows South Mississippi. And South Mississippi knows him. Tony doesn't recruit the coast, but uh, he does do basically everything in the Pine Belt, kind of up here towards the Golden Triangle. You know, basically everything from, uh, I guess, uh, 98 to, to 82. But there are going to be guys like this every year. They're kind of tucked away somewhere in some small town, maybe in an under-recruited high school. And Lawrence County's produced some big-time players over the years. You know, I mean, we've got Matthew Wells out of there, right? They do a good job there. They do. But this is one of those situations, too, where you look at the film and you start thinking, okay, you have to squint your eyes a little bit. No, this guy jumps off film. Granted, it's highlight film, but you just don't ordinarily see a guy that big be that athletic. I don't know that he couldn't be an offensive tackle. I mean, his footwork is impressive. But I think we're really just kind of scratching the surface with him. I think his best days are ahead, and they certainly should be. I mean, obviously, he's you know, going to get college-level coaching. But you just don't ordinarily see a guy like him be available in January. It's, it's kind of remarkable to think about that. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, okay, well, I feel good about my class. And also, okay, this is a developmental guy. Well, yeah, if you're going to take a developmental guy, you get one at 6'5", 300 pounds. This guy's a big-time player, man. Now, is he, is he going to be a game wrecker? I don't know. He has the potential to do that. But I think it's important to understand this is not a scratch and dent deal where we're taking a reach. This kid can really play. I think it's important to kind of understand there is value late. There's not always value late, but, uh, you know, he, he gets ranked late and all of a sudden becomes the number six player in the state of Mississippi. That's interesting, right? That's always interesting. And I would like to know, and I don't know how much time I'll commit to this, I'd like to know who kind of championed that cause to get him ranked as high as he was. And he ends up being an 88.44. Now, that's not to say that he's not worthy of that ranking. He is. 
But how did that just kind of come out of nowhere? It's always interesting to me. If we knew about him back then, why didn't we rank him higher before? But, uh, you know, offers from Troy, Texas, Southern Miss, Southeastern Louisiana, Ole Miss, Jacksonville State, Coastal Carolina, Mississippi State. But he was headed to junior college. And then things changed. You know, and like Texas, I guess, was the first big school to offer him. State was already on him, but Texas was kind of the, uh, the lid lifter in that respect. This kid can play, man. He does. Rated 89 by 247 Sports. Ranked as the number six player in Mississippi. And let, let's take a quick look at that. Yeah, because that's our focus, right? And a lot of people talk about, you know, we got to keep the best players at home. We absolutely do. However, State ended up signing half of the top ten. Let's run that down real quick here. Uh, As you know, get Perkins, who's a freak. He is. I love that kid. I know he's going to Ole Miss. I I, I like – let me say it this way. I love his film. I like him as a kid even more. Right? And it's like, even though he's going to Ole Miss, I, I really want good things to happen to him. Now, I want him to lose every Egg Bowl, but I want him to meet his wife, get his college degree, and have a great career. Just not at our expense. But he can really play. And, and to me, I think it's pretty obvious he's a top player. Now, they've, they've raised him to a five-star. I don't know that I go that far because he hadn't spent a ton of time playing his projected position. But get Perkins is phenomenal. And, yes, he's going to Ole Miss. And, yes, they committed him early. And they did a good job hanging on to him. Alabama went and made it awfully interesting. But Kid Perkins is phenomenal. Aiden Williams, I like him a lot. Uh, he's a number two player in state going to Ole Miss. And, you know, we were told from the beginning if he stayed in state, he was going to Ole Miss. Ultimately, he does. And so it's not a big surprise that either one of those guys goes to Ole Miss. And, and again, I don't think you can really argue with the ranking. I would have Isaac Smith, number two, and Aiden Williams, number three. That's really the only – and really, does it make that much of a difference between two and three? Isaac Smith, you know, signs of Mississippi State. There were times I thought Isaac Smith might be the best player in the state, and I watched the senior film from Suntory and Perkins, and I'm like, you know what, i got to give him a little bit of an edge here. Get Perkins is great. Isaac Smith's great too. And uh, I, I think of the kids in this class – the two guys most likely to go pro is Get Perkins and Isaac Smith. That's not a shot at Eddie Williams. I, I'm just not as in love with his game that some other people are. He's outstanding, don't get me wrong. I just like Isaac Smith a little bit more. That's really the only – probably the only change that I would make is in the top ten probably those three. Those two. I would flip Aid Williams and Isaac Smith. Dante Aldell, a guy that Mississippi State likely could have had committed back in the spring – we didn't. Now he's headed to Oregon. And give the Ducks a lot of credit. I know Ole Miss made multiple pushes at Dowdell trying to flip him and just weren't able to get him. State offers him late. It just wasn't enough. It wasn't. And, you know, it's like that same recruiting philosophy that we use, right? Like we can go tell Jonathan Davis, well, where were those schools when we were all over you, right? Oregon can say the same thing. Where was Mississippi State when we took you, right? And so he sticks. Maybe in the portal at some point, but, uh, you know, I'm happy for the kid. Ty Jones, back up to fifth in the state. The fact that he dropped so much in the rankings, I think, is a joke. And now he's back. It, it, all's well that ends well, but Ty Jones is a freak. Like, if you want to see what an SEC linebacker looks like on the high school level, go watch Ty Jones. That guy's phenomenal. 
And he committed early to State and never gave us any trouble. And he ends up being the number five player in the state. So State signs two of the top five, along with Ole Miss. And then Jonathan Davis makes his debut as a number six player in the state. Now he's headed to Mississippi State. Uh, Brayson Hubbard from Ocean Springs is going to Alabama, seventh in the state. And I'll be honest with you, I think that might be a little bit high. Maybe. John Slaughter going to Tennessee. I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't like his junior film a lot. I liked it, but I wasn't blown away. I love his senior film. And I don't know maybe if he's a guy, too, that kind of maybe the light turned on for him. Because, hey, I'm going to go play in the SEC. I've been working and, and kind of laboring, trying to improve my stock. And now all of a sudden, I've got the chance to go play in the SEC. Maybe the light came on for him. But I like him. You know, in state, not really ever a factor in his recruitment. But uh, I like John Slaughter's game. And I won't be the least bit surprised to look up, uh, you know, one Saturday night here in a couple of years, and he's laying somebody out against Alabama. Number nine, and I'm going to gloat about this one. And so if you don't want to hear it, that's fine. Kelly Jones, the number nine player in the state. I, I, I will go back. I've been doing this a long time. Forget the offer sheet. Just watch the tape. If anybody that watched Kelly Jones' tape, his junior film, and didn't think he was an SEC player, probably shouldn't be in the industry. That kid's phenomenal. And you just look at how raw and athletic he is, and you think, man, what is this kid going to look like after a year in a college weight room and a year with college coaching? Kelly Jones is outstanding. And, again, I, I don't understand the people that continue to put a safety label on him. He is so thinly framed, he's not going to be a safety. I mean, I, I guess maybe after three years in a weight room. He's just not going to be able to carry that mass. So, well, Steve, he's 6'4". I, I don't think you can put a bunch of mass on him without hurting his dexterity and his foot speed. I mean, obviously you bulk him up and everything, but, you know, I, I think he's more in the vein of Emmanuel Forbes. I think he's always going to be a thinner guy. I think if you put too much weight on him, you're going to hurt him. You're going to hurt his ability to play football. So, yeah, I like him as a corner. He's got to learn, developmental guy for sure. But uh, as a raw athlete, Kelly Jones is without a doubt one of the top ten players in the state. And the number ten on the list is uh, Zay Alexander. Zay at one point was the number two offensive lineman in the state. Now he's number one. He passes Malik Ellis. I don't. I, no, I still haven't had anybody explain to me how Malik Ellis dropped as far as he did. But um, Zay, good year for him this year. He trimmed up, played at a new playing weight, was outstanding. I thought as a result his stamina improved. So he played stronger later in ball games, and that's what you want. But this is a dude, man, and I begin to think too that he of all the recruits, he may benefit the most in a change in offensive philosophy a little bit, right? because he's going to get a chance to get out there and get behind his pads and plow somebody in the ground. And that's the thing I look about the offensive line class that Mason Miller has kind of put together the last couple of years. We've got the dudes we need to run this scheme. When, we got, when they got here, we didn't have the dudes, you know, the ideally that fit the matrix or the metrics, excuse me, of the air raid offense. You know, you got, you know, Cole Smith and Nick Jones, guys out there, LaQuinson Sharp that uh, really – didn't have the measurables that maybe some of those Texas Tech and Washington State OLs did. But I think this gives Kevin Barbet and uh, Will Friend and, and Schmidt and those guys kind of a running start here because they've got some guys that have the potential to be good pass blockers but also be road graders. And so when it's all said and done, State signs five of the top ten in uh, Mississippi. And let me say that most years that's probably, that's probably the best you could hope for, right? Probably the best you could hope for is to sign half of them. And, again, you, 
you didn't lose the other five to Ole Miss. You lost two to Ole Miss, lost one to Alabama and Tennessee. And, again, State didn't really make John Slaughter a priority. Uh, but I like it. And, again, Dante Dowdell, if we handle that thing differently, he's probably a bulldog, and it's probably six of ten. And so we talk all the time about keeping the best players home. And uh, we did a pretty good job of that. Not a great job, but a pretty good job of that uh, this year. And, and again, you got to understand, too, there are going to be some people in the industry when they see a Blue Blood program beat State and Ole Miss for a kid, they're going to think, oh, well, you know, this kid's got to be outstanding. So sometimes those kids get ranked a little bit higher artificially. Sometimes they do. I mean, you know, go look historically at maybe outside of the top 15 and see how many of those Blue Blood programs sign those players because a lot of times, you know, they just kind of get a bump from that. And one more thing I'll share with you, too, about these rankings. I've talked about this guy before, and this is a guy that I think Mississippi State should have taken. Out of nowhere, Florida State commits Quindarius Jones out of Meridian. He ends up being ranked the number 16 player in the state. He's better than that. Don't be surprised when you look up here in a couple years and people are like, how in the world do we let this kid get away? This kid can really play football. You you know, they're out there playing seven-on-seven. You don't have to look hard at the Meridian roster to figure out who's who. Kid can really play. And so that's – we talk about big misses. State never really made him a priority. That's an evaluation that I disagree with. I think think we're going to look back in a few years and be like, you know what? Should have made this kid a priority. If he stays healthy and works hard, that kid's going to play a lot of meaningful snaps at Florida State. So uh, now it's time to kind of put the cap on this thing, right? It's time to kind of move on. You know, we've already had some junior day events. We've had, uh, you know, smaller groups come in and have to photo shoot and spend time with your staff. We've done those things. You know, it's, it's transition. But, uh, again, two good, very good late gets. And, uh, you know, some transfers were announced yesterday, too. Before we move on, let's give those guys their due, obviously. I didn't think that Ryland Gody would be announced because uh, he's not enrolled in school yet. So I'm just kind of curious how that stuff works. But, uh, you know, maybe he's given them some assurances or whatever. But, uh, but uh, you know, they announced those transfers yesterday. And I think, you know, again – this is the world in which we live in now, and uh, I think we've met our needs. Uh, if we could find a, you know, an edge rusher out there, I just don't know if there's a difference maker to be found at this late juncture. So you, you'll have to mine the portal in May and kind of see what's available. Maybe you add a guy. You know, is he a pass rushing specialist? I, I don't know. You know, that, that's the thing you look at and you begin to kind of ask yourself, you know, what's, you know, what's next? But uh, according to Mississippi State's official release yesterday, um, after it's all said and done, sometimes I wish we just had a list instead of everybody just trying to, uh, to impress me with their writing skill. All due respect, not taking a shot at anybody. But, um, but anyway, you get Davis, you get uh, Will James, and you get Rylan Goaty from Georgia, a tight end, Mike Wright, quarterback from Vanderbilt, uh, Jacoby Albert, defensive back from Kentucky, Chris Keyes from Indiana, Nick Barmira from UCLA, and then Freddie Roberson. So you had eight new Bulldogs yesterday. And uh, I, I, I like the class. I do. I like the fact, too, that so many are going to be able to go through spring practice. So, uh, But, again, great job by the staff. In the end, it is a top 25 class. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. And the fact that we were able to finish in the top 25 this year, considering the fact that it wasn't a great year in-state and that a couple of the top players in the state were kind of closed off to Mississippi State. You can recruit them. 
But it would be like old Miss recruiting one of my kids, right? I mean, you know, there's just some things in life that aren't going to happen. And so I share that with you because I think it's important to understand under the circumstances, I don't know the staff could have done a better job. Were there a couple of recruitments here and there that maybe could have been handled differently? Yeah, it's, it's always going to be the case. And, of course, Dowdell's the one that kind of sticks out the most because he ends up being a four-star kid, and that kind of guarantees you the fact you're going to be in top 25. But uh, when it's all said and done, I think you got to feel good that State has met their needs with quality players. And it's easy to get excited about the future. And, again, Zach Arnett just keeps stacking Ws. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. Many of you have thought, you know, one day I'd love to own a house, but uh, the process is somewhat done, and maybe you've been turned down in the past. Maybe you just haven't had somebody that was capable of championing your cause. Let me, let me introduce you to Blair Chandler. Go to CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And let Blair help you. You'd like to be able to pass something down to your kids, right? Wouldn't it be great to have the old homestead and say, you know what, when I, when I pass on, you know, my son and my daughter and their family can stay here and our legacy kind of lives on, you know. It's a cool thing. We talk about generational wealth and things of that nature. I mean, what, what better way to establish some equity and some assets in your life by purchasing a home? Give Blair a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And if you mention him, you heard about him on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. How cool is that? Blair's been in the industry 21 years, top 1% close ratio back-to-back years, works for fairway mortgages. This is not some uh, subprime fly-by-night lender. You can have some assurance and some confidence in knowing that your business is being handled by professionals. A lot of people out there trying to get over, not these folks. Again, visit Blair at closewithblair.com or call and text them today at 601-500-2344. Okay, uh, yesterday, and this is kind of a, a controversial topic with me, you know, being a music guy. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame released their uh, list of uh, nominees. I don't agree with a lot of them. I'm a rock guy. So I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame should be about rock and roll. Now, some people use that. It's kind of like, uh, hey, do you want a Coke? You know, when I was a kid, like a Coke was everything. You know, kind of like copying was Xeroxing, right? And so people think, oh, well, you know, it's, it's music, it's rock and roll. No, it's not. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to run a couple of I'm going to Let me give you the list of nominees, and then uh, we're going to make a top ten list today of the top ten snubs from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's surprising, the list. This, this, is one, this is a classic list. It's incredible. So here are your nominees. Willie Nelson. It's hard to uh, argue against Willie being a legendary performer, but Willie is a country music artist. Kate Bush has no business being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Zero. Not that she's not talented. She's not rock and roll. Missy Elliott, phenomenal, not rock and roll. George Michael, incredible songwriter, incredible performer, controversial life, got in some trouble, exceptionally talented, exceptionally handsome, not rock and roll. Sheryl Crow, who was once a background singer for Michael Jackson, has put together some great stuff. I think she's more of a pop artist, but I could be okay with it. I'm okay with Sheryl Crow getting in. A Tribe Called Quest, love them, absolutely do, 
pioneers in the industry, not rock and roll. Iron Maiden, nominated. The fact that Iron Maiden is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is an indictment on the entire process. The fact that we're having to talk about Iron Maiden not being in on February 2nd, 2023 is an absolute joke. Uh, Joy Division and New Order. I like New Order better than Joy Division. Many of you were Joy Division fans. You know, what level Terrace apart, right? Um, not rock and roll. The leading vote getter in the fan vote at this time is Cindy Lauper. Not rock and roll. Not that I didn't appreciate her irreverence. She's obviously very talented. She had some wild hair, and I'm a proponent of that. And the song True Colors, of course, is an absolute classic. Girls just want to have fun. I mean, it's great. Cindy Lauper, obviously a very influential artist of the 80s and ultra-talented, but not rock and roll. Rage Against the Machine, again, the fact that we're talking about Rage Against the Machine not being in is one of the most important bands of my lifetime. It's a joke. Then there's Soundgarden. You know my feelings about Chris Cornell. Uh, Chris could probably be in as a solo artist, to be honest with you. The Spinners are also nominated. Not rock and roll. The Wide Stripes. <clears throat> now, I'm going to hear it. They're rock and roll. I just don't know if their catalog is worthy of rock and roll Hall of Fame. Uh, are they a rock and roll Hall of Fame band? I mean, honestly, remove your bias from it a little bit. I mean, honestly, have they done enough? I don't think so. But I can't argue against the nomination. I don't think they're included. And then probably a guy that should have been in in one of the first classes is Warren Zevon. How is Warren Zevon not in? And I read that Billy Joel had, like, written a letter on his behalf, and Zevon's been dead now, what, you know, 20 years? Warren Zevon was an individual. He's what rock and roll's about. He didn't have the edge. Maybe some other artists did. But you got to have Warren Zevon in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the fact, like... The fact that we have to defend that, I think, is ridiculous. But how is Warren Zevon not in? And there's so many other people out there that are like one-hit wonders that are in. And it's like, well, we need to be careful. No, we don't. Can we just be true to our mandate here? This is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There shouldn't be country artists or R&B artists or rap artists in there. Period. My thing is, is it's not about inclusion. It's about authenticity. Change the name. Don't call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, call it the American Music Hall of Fame or whatever you want to call it. But don't call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when you're going to put all these non-rock artists in here. And people are going to say, but Steve, you're being so hard. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for crying out loud. Anyway, so I put a list together of some bands that are not in. The top 10 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame snubs. Now, I almost put Smashing Pumpkins on here. Almost. And I could make a big case for them. I absolutely could. And uh, I think people would appreciate that. Smashing Pumpkins are outstanding. Many of their contemporaries are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't agree with that either. But if you're going to put many of their contemporaries in, you got to make a case for the Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corgan, a musical genius. There's no question about it. But it's like Smashing Pumpkins... I could make a case, too, that maybe they're a bubble group. But when, you know, they wouldn't be maybe my Hall of Fame initially, but they would eventually get in. They'd be in, you know, a lot quicker than um, some of the other bands that, that are in there. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And again, you know, nobody said, hey, Steve, what are your thoughts about this? This is just me. 
But like I, I look at all this stuff and it just absolutely blows me away. You know, some of the people that are in and then some of these legendary artists are not. And that's, again, guys, I just, I, I'm just stunned at times for words when I think about, I, I, maybe I'm too emotionally invested in this. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. But I think about the fact that bands like the Blue Caps and Booker T and the MGs are in, and REO Speedwagon isn't. I mean, Booker T and the MGs had a niche, but they were basically a one-hit wonder with Green Onions. And REO Speedwagon, it in the end. Are you kidding me? What? I'm not even a huge REO Speedwagon fan, but can we not all admit they were an outstanding act? They wrote a ton of hits. They were a little more pop rock than most, but they absolutely are worthy of inclusion in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So number 10 on your list is REO Speedwagon. We're going to go with Take It on the Run. Take It on the Run, baby. Number nine, a band that is nominated this year. And the reason I have them ninth is I think there are some other bands that accomplished more at this point in their career. And Rage Against the Machine has a limited catalog, and I wish they would kind of reunite in earnest. There was a time there in the early to mid-90s that Rage Against the Machine ruled the world. They did. They are certainly worthy of inclusion. But there are some other bands that I think are more accomplished over a longer period, and that's why Rage is number nine. One of my favorite bands, but I'm going to be honest about it. Rage Against the Machine, number nine, Killing in the Name of. That's your track. Number eight, it's Alice in Chains. Now, Alice in Chains, you could make the argument. You said, Steve, you know, when Alice in Chains, you know, when Lane Staley died, they went on hiatus for all that, which is all true, but they've come back and produced some killer music since then. Not as good as the Lane Staley years, but still very good. They're still packing out arenas, and there's no denying their influence. In many respects, and I hate to equate this to a biblical term, but in many respects, Alice in Chains was kind of like the John the Baptist of grunge. Because they showed up on Headbangers Ball and you know they were they went out with some metal bands and all of a sudden hey well this is a little different right they they paved the way for what became the Seattle scene on a national level that's not in any way to be disrespectful to the Melvins and you know Screaming Trees and Mud Hunting and those bands but Alice in Chains took the brand national so we're gonna go with Man in the Box that was the song that started it all. Man in the Box. Number seven, and I absolutely, this is one of those ones that gets me fired up. How is Foreigner not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Did I miss it? Did I miss it? No, I didn't miss it. I went back and double-checked and triple-checked. As a matter of fact, I've got the list in front of me now. How is Foreigner not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? So here are your F artists, right? The Famous Flames, Leo Fender, the Flamingos, Fleetwood Mac, obviously they belong in, DJ Fontana, the Foo Fighters, the Four Seasons, the Four Tops, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, Aretha Franklin and Alan Freed. But no Foreigner? How is Foreigner not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? They should have been in the first class. Are you kidding me? So we're going to go with Hot Blooded. Number seven on the list, Hot Blooded from Foreigner. Number six, and this is one, this, this is, the, the more we talk about this, the angrier I'm going to get about this. You guys know who Paul Rogers is? 
Is the singer Bad Company? The singer Blue Cheer? The singer The Firm? Paul Rogers, phenomenal. And maybe you don't want to put him in as an individual, which he absolutely deserves to be in as an individual. But his greatest accomplishment was his run with Bad Company. How is Bad Company not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? The Bad Company is rock and roll. It's amazing. One of the most influential rock bands of all time, Bad Company. And if you don't have 10 from 6, what are you doing with your life? Go download it today. There's so many songs on there you know and you're familiar with, but Paul Rogers deserves to be in as an individual. But Bad Company, an absolute egregious exclusion from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we're going to go with Shooting Star. You notice I'm going with a lot of these signature songs today. Building an outstanding list for you. All right, number five, they're nominated this year. And if you've got Pearl Jam and Nirvana in, you've got to have Soundgarden in. Soundgarden had already sold millions of records before Pearl Jam and Nirvana had major record deals. Now, of course, Pearl Jam rose from the ashes of Mother Love Bones. They were somewhat established. They added a singer, Eddie Vedder, from San Diego. But Soundgarden, you know, Chris Cornell, again, I think deserves to be in as an individual. But uh, Soundgarden has to go in. Matter matter of fact, I, I think they should close the Nirvana exhibit until Soundgarden is in. And you say, but Steve, you're a Nirvana hater. I am an admitted Nirvana hater. But the fact, and I'm just going to go and say it. If Kurt Cobain was alive today, Nirvana wouldn't be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. At least not yet. I'm not denying their influence on rock music and grunge. But that was a sympathy vote. Chris Cornell and Soundgarden should have been in long before Nirvana. Long before Pearl Jam. Maybe I'm just the only one with the guts to say it. But we're going to go with Outshine as your number five song off the Bad Motorfinger album. Number four, another great that's passed away on us, it's Motorhead. How is Motorhead not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And, of course, Lemmy's passed on now. Motorhead not even up for nomination this year. I I don't get it. And I understand, like, they were not commercially viable for MTV and people like that. They just didn't play that stuff with such a, a, a harder and rough edge. You didn't hear Motorhead on the radio in the 80s. Nobody wanted to let me screaming at them. So they did most of their work like on the road and underground. And Motorhead, one of the most influential bands in rock music. You know, the punk scene that kind of developed out of that all came from Motorhead. They absolutely deserve to be in. It's an absolute indictment on the entire organization that Motorhead is not in. Okay, number three, oh, we're going to go Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades. Like I told you, we're putting together a classic list today. You'll be bouncing checks after listening to this one. Uh, number three, now he is in with Black Sabbath. But how is Ozzy Osbourne, the Prince of Darkness, not in as an individual? Had a very accomplished solo career. He was fired from Black Sabbath, and rather than just go away, he reinvented himself, still selling out arenas. Of course, they had to postpone the tour. Ozzy's not in good health. The fact that Ozzy is still alive is amazing. Can we get him in before he dies? I mean, do we have to wait? You know, we, you know we, we've waited on Lemmy to pass away. We've waited on Warren Zevon to pass away. Can we get Ozzy in so we can get Ozzy up on stage and, and we can have Zach Wild and 
Jakey Lee and maybe some of their great contemporaries and have a jam session out there. Can we can we get everybody up there and listen to Bark at the Moon? And that's your song for number three, Ozzy Osbourne's Bark at the Moon. Ozzy deserves to be in as an individual. He absolutely does. It's a disrespectful. It really is. It's it's been two different careers for Ozzy. But who is the who is the father of heavy metal music? You know, we go back to the infancy and see, you know, Black Sabbath was really the first true heavy metal band. They were. I don't know who could argue against it. But Black Sabbath didn't really take off until Ozzy joined the band. And then while Black Sabbath endured, I would venture to say that Ozzy Osbourne, his career surpassed the post-Ozzy years in Black Sabbath. And listen, I know Ronnie James Dio was a part of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not in any way being disrespectful. I love Ronnie James Dio. I do. But Ozzy, the Ozzy Osbourne experience was bigger than the the post-Ozzy Black Sabbath experience. It just was. Number two... And you probably figured this would be number one. It's not. It's number two. How is Motley not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Motley Crue, one of the biggest bands in the 1980s, you know, and and Nikki says, well, you know, we don't really care about that. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. You know, Guns is in. Bon Jovi is in. How is Bon Jovi in before, before Motley Crue? Can somebody explain that to me? How is Bon Jovi in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before Motley Crue? There wouldn't be a Bon Jovi if there hadn't been a Motley Crue. And maybe, like, it's so interesting, too. You look back at the genesis of it all. So Ozzy takes Motley on the road as Motley's a headliner on the Too Fast for Love tour. Well, then Motley on the Shout the Devil tour, they take Rat on the road. You know, Rat, of course, was on Out of the Cellar. Well, then Rat releases Invasion of Your Privacy. They go on the road, and who do they who do they bring with them to the Biloxi Gulf Coast Coliseum? They brought Bon Jovi, who was on the 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And then all of a sudden, we go back down to Biloxi, and uh, when Slippery and Wet comes out, and Bon Jovi's brought Cinderella with them. Then Cinderella comes back on a long call one or two, and they bring Winger and Bullet Boys. And so you, you see how all of this works. And Bon Jovi, amazing. I have every album, I believe, unless they've released one in the last year or so. But Motley Crue ruled the Hollywood Strip. And so I think this is somewhat political. Kind of like when Girls, Girls, Girls sold more records than Whitney Houston's album, but yet Billboard put Whitney number one, even though Motley had more record sales. It was all political. And so I don't know if uh, Nikki and those guys have uh, you know, pissed some people off or whatever, but they're not in. And they should be in. The fact that Motley's not in, again, is an indictment on it. But the biggest indictment of all, and I think I can make a case for every one of these bands, and I could probably go up there and make some people feel awful guilty about it. They're nominated, but they should have been, there shouldn't have even been a vote. Like the day they opened the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like the very first exhibit, like when you walk through the door, you ought to have a big like uh, exhibit of Eddie. Because how is Iron Maiden not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Iron Maiden is rock and roll, man. There would be no Metallica. There would be no Megadeth. There would be no Anthrax. There would be no Slayer. There would be none of those bands. I venture to say there wouldn't be a Queen Trike without Bruce Dickinson and Iron Maiden. There would not be any of those bands if it wasn't for Iron Maiden. You go to a festival out there and just pull it up on YouTube and look how people react to Iron Maiden. And the thing that I've learned about Iron Maiden fans, it's like a family. You know, you, you go some places and people are kind of music snobs, and I've been accused of being that sometimes too, but Iron, you ever go to Iron Maiden show? 
Everybody's just happy to be there. Like, dude, Maiden, I, I get it. I understand. And nobody ever, like, criticizes you for going to see Iron Maiden, right? Like, oh, you went, uh, you went and saw those guys? Somebody, oh, you saw Iron Maiden. There's just so much respect for Iron Maiden. And it may not be your cup of tea, but nobody has done more for hard rock music than Iron Maiden. They are the godfathers. And basically, you know, and we could put together this one day, but it's like we talk about these waves in music. You go from Black Sabbath, then you go to Iron Maiden. That's how it works. You know, we talk about this biblical stuff, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. Black Sabbath beget Iron Maiden, and then Iron Maiden birthed everybody else. It's a joke. So run to the hills is number one. So again, REO Speedwagon, Rage, Alice in Chains, Foreigner, Bad Company, Soundgarden, Motorhead, Ozzy Osbourne, Crew, and Iron Maiden. That's your most obvious rock and roll snubs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm sure you agree. And uh, again, three of these bands are nominated. Maybe they all three will get in. I, I think maybe we can shame them into putting uh, Iron Maiden. But how do you leave out Soundgarden and Rage in lieu of Cyndi Lauper? And it's interesting. People are like, oh, Cyndi Lauper should be in. Cyndi Lauper should absolutely be in the American Music Hall of Fame. She should. And so if they want to change the, the, the title of this award, then go right ahead and do it. But um, And some of you will listen to this and you'll disagree and say, well, see, rock and roll is an attitude or rock and roll is a state of mind or whatever. I just disagree. If, if that's your attitude and your state of mind, then play rock music, right? And again, I, my honest opinion is, and I know it's all about funding, there should be an R&B music hall of fame. There should be a rap hall of fame, and, and I think maybe there is. That we know there's a country music hall of fame, so why are we rushing to put all these country music people in the rock thing? I mean, you, you, right? That make a lot of sense to me. But I'm going to get out here and carry the flag and carry the banner and kind of push this thing ahead. That's your top ten list for today. Thanks, as always, for your support of the Top Ten List. If you have ideas for the Top Ten List, reach out to Roy Samanti on Twitter at Dogmatic67. Just tweet us. You don't have to DM us. If you want to DM us and be private about it, you can. Um, but, you know, we're happy to do it. And uh, somebody reached out to me this morning. And I was it's so funny. I was thinking of what Top Ten was going to be, and I was like, maybe I'll do something on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees. And they said, hey, what about the snubs? The snubs, in your opinion. And uh, let me give proper credit where credit's due. It's Melanie Moody. Melanie Moody uh, hit me up on Facebook. And so it was Melanie's idea. So, Melanie, thanks as always for listening to the show. And, um, you know, it's pretty crazy stuff. But um, I think Melanie and I see music kind of the same way. She did say this. I just, it struck me after reading another article about it saying that some nominees like Cindy Lauper were long overdue. One podcast news show I listened to said Pat Benatar should be there. Melanie, I agree. How is Pat Benatar not in, and then we've got Cindy Lauper reading the vote, leading the vote, right? I mean, it, Pat Benatar is a lot more rock than Cindy Lauper. So our priorities are wrong. I think a lot of times, too, it's like, you know what, if, if they only put rock people in, then only rock people would come to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I know that it's all about selling tickets, but I just don't like the way we're doing it. Maybe we should do our own, like, Heavy Metal Hall of Fame, and, like, we'll, and we'll just have, like, a closet somewhere with, like, posters from... Uh, from Rip Magazine or Hit Parader and stuff. That'll be our Hall of Fame. There'll be no exhibits. We'll just have like one wall, right? And we'll just like put up stuff and like, that's us. We'll do it ourselves. And maybe maybe I'll do that. Maybe one day when we get this business open, maybe we'll have like our own, our own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It'll be ours. And maybe I'll let you guys vote. And then anybody that brings up anybody that played a flute, completely out. No, 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 none of that. I can do that. 
not going to do it. And uh, I think we'll have a rule, too, that uh, any, any band that cut their hair during their heyday, automatically excluded. Can't do it. If you didn't, if you didn't have long hair, if you look like you stepped off a subway lunch counter and on the stage, we're not, you're, not, you're not making our Hall of Fame. You got to be defenders of the faith, man. You got to be true to the cause. So if you're not committed, you can't make our list. And so we're, we're, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to think about this. Maybe we'll have our own Boneyard Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'll let you guys vote. All right. Now it's time for the next segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. If you're not aware of their fine wares, let me encourage you to get in there and check them out. Go see their smiling faces. They're lovely people dedicated to providing Mississippi State with the best Mississippi State merchandise available in the known universe. Best selection, without a doubt. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR. That stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over $75. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Be sure and get those Mike Leach shirts before they're gone. It's a nice, nice shirt for sure. And uh, commemorates you know, a wonderful man that did a wonderful job for Mississippi State. All right, uh, Mississippi State now winners of two in a row in men's basketball. You know, we had that extensive losing streak, and uh, let's we'll call it a winning streak. It's a two-game winning streak. State goes on the road and takes care of South Carolina 66-51 and really played with better offensive execution than we have as of late. Like all of you, I was happy. South Carolina, not a great team. You got that one. Big game Saturday at Humphrey Coliseum, 5 p.m. We'll preview that on uh, tomorrow's show. But let's take a quick look back. State a six-point lead at the break and then uh, outscores them by nine in the second half to win 66-51. State now 14-8 and eight overall, 2-7 and seven in the league. South Carolina 8-14, and 1-8 uh, in the league. So that's the game you had to win. Pretty good attendance, too. They reported an attendance of 9,129, and there were some Bulldog fans in attendance. Pat Adams uh, leading that crew. Pat, uh, veteran official. But the story of this game is Shaquille Moore, 22 points in 30 minutes of action, 9 of 11 from the floor. And uh, the two misses were threes, and one of those I thought was going to go down. But four rebounds, three personal fouls. Did have a couple turnovers, but also made up for some of that with three steals. But an outstanding game by Shaquille Moore. You get him going, all of a sudden the floor opens up a little bit. When he's able to connect from outside, and many of these are mid-range jumpers, but uh, he's got enough of a three-point game which he keep people honest. Tolu Smith, nearly a double-double, 15 points of action, fifteen points for him in 23 minutes of action, pulled down eight rebounds. One of those deals, too, where you got Will McNair a little more involved and I think that's going to save some wear and tear on Tolu as you kind of move forward. But, again, it's another solid game for Tolu. We're starting to get out of him what we expected. Uh, did have a couple turnovers there, but, uh, you know, Tolu is a guy that I think you look at and say, we're going to go as far as he can carry us. He's got to be, you know, a big part of this offense. But, uh, again, starting to see kind of consistent numbers from him, that's encouraging. Uh, Cam Matthews with eight points in 26 minutes. You know, Cam, kind of the energizer buddy out there, always kind of running wide open. Just a one personal foul, too. It's always nice when Cam gets out there and defends and doesn't get in foul trouble because you can match him up with, uh, you know, whoever's hot. 
DJ Jeffries just seven points for him, 32 minutes of action. I think, I think you know, occasionally we'll get a double-digit game out of him. More times than not, he kind of is what he is. Deshaun Davis, after having a big game against TCU, just two points for him and played 34 minutes, attempted just four shots. And I think that's what happens, too. People get hot and they say, okay, we're going to take him away. Uh, the big contributor off the bench was Tyler Stevenson. Uh, 12 points, did not attempt a three-point basket, but uh, six of ten from the floor, all kind of mid-range stuff there. Pulled down a couple of boards, too. Did have a couple turnovers in the one steal. He was the only player from the Bulldog bench uh, that actually got into the scoring column. Will McNair played some good minutes for us. Eric Reed, uh, Martravius Russell, and Sean Jones got a, a little, uh, some action late, but uh, did not score. And uh, outside of, of uh, Tyler Stevenson, just four shots attempted from the bench, and uh, none of them, of course, converted. But 27 of 51 is a team, and so 52%. And uh, a lot of those, of, of course, uh, you know, Tolu being right around the, you know, the basket helps. Just 25% beyond the arc as a team, 3 of 12. Uh, 9 of 12 from the line. We've got to do a little bit better job getting to the line, especially since we're starting to convert at a higher rate. But uh, good game. And, of course, you, uh, you hold South Carolina to 34% shooting. When you're shooting 52 and they're shooting 34, good chance you're going to win the game. They were, however, 8 of 24 from beyond the arc. Kind of kept them in the game for a little while, but uh, it never really felt like State was threatened in this game. The game was tied six times. The lead changed hands seven times. But by and large, State appeared to be the better team in this game. And really in the second half, never really felt like that South Carolina was going to make a run here. You know, it's, I guess they, they cut it down to six points at one time, and then we take it right back out to double figures. And uh, just before the under-12 timeout, it is a 14-point lead for Mississippi State, and you just kind of felt like things were going to go our way. Uh, they do get it down to uh, eight points at one point around the eight-minute mark, and we go right back out and stretch it out. That's what good teams do, and we are a good team. We're not a great team. We're certainly not a lead offensive team. But this team has grit. State leads by as many as 16 to three-minute mark and then take it all the way out to 20 with two minutes to go. It was an absolute blowout at that point. Uh, Tulu on the break there, heaves it home. and A nice exclamation point on the night for him. And, uh, you know, there wasn't much score the rest of the game. South Carolina with a couple of baskets late that were pretty much academic. So uh, State, again, in the mix. And you say, Steve, how could we be a tournament team? You know, Joe Lenardi – even mentioning this now that, hey, we're under consideration. That game Saturday is huge, absolutely huge. And, again, we'll spend some more time tomorrow talking about that uh, with Missouri. But, again, you find a way to get through that, and then you got LSU. So you got two-game homestand here. you got to go at least one and one here. But if you could find a way to win them both, everything in life just kind of opens up for you. But the Missouri game, huge, huge, huge game. Both these games uh, in Humphrey Coliseums. If you can make it to the game, uh, we encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Uh, the team is starting to play well. And, and you knew the effort was there. Now the execution's beginning to follow. So, uh, again, I, I'm a Christians fan. I admire the fact that we are playing with such tenacity, especially on defense. That opens up some uh, transition baskets for us at times. But excited, to say the least. Now, Mississippi State women are now 15-7, and seven, lost two in a row. Offensively, we haven't played well as of late. You know, we, did, we didn't play really well against Ole Miss on the road, and we certainly didn't play well against uh, Georgia on the road on offense. Just, uh, you know, single-digit basket. You're not going to beat anybody like that. 
So Monday, we're going to take on Tennessee. Enjoying a much-needed break right now. Hopefully we can put some new wrinkles in and kind of get excited about all this stuff. But, um, you know, Tennessee, that's, that's a marquee-type game. I don't expect Mississippi State to win. I also didn't expect State to play a good game against South Carolina. And I certainly didn't expect us to lay an egg on the road like we did against Georgia. So uh, there is some ebb and flow with all of this. We need to find a way to get everybody on the same page. We're going to have to be on the same page as we uh, take on Tennessee and, and welcome Rakia Jackson back, right? And then we'll head to Florida. So, um, you know, not much to talk about on the women's side right now, but uh, we still have some good opportunities to kind of prove our NCAA tournament worth. I believe we will. We're four and five in the league, but again, lost two in a row. Outstanding home record for us, though, 10 and two this year. So we need to be able to protect uh, the home court as best we can. But, uh, you know, Sam Purcell and the staff, they're doing a good job for us. Just got to be a little more consistent on the offensive end. And if you, you kind of felt like, and we talked about that on the show earlier in the year, you felt like at some point that State on the men's side would find some rhythm offensively. It appears to be happening. We just got to keep it going. Got to continue to find a way to be consistent. And now the women's side is getting a little bit, uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde for us. You know, we just never know from one game to the next what we're going to have. And so hopefully we can find some offensive cohesion as we kind of move ahead. But, uh, you know, feeling good, again, about basketball on both sides of things. And I uh, hope that you guys can be a part of that, come out and support the team. Appreciate everybody that has come out. Uh, the team is responding. They absolutely are. All right, final segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Portico. I've told you guys many times before, if I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. Very easy to find. Turn off 8212 like going to campus. Very first right is Pat Station Road. You take that, go through the four-way stop. Boom, there's Portico right there on the right. Next time you're in town, you owe it to yourself. Let's go ride by and take a look. You've always dreamed of making Starkville a second home or perhaps your primary residence. Look no further than Portico. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really get anything in between. If you need a custom build, they can help you with that. You can have some say in how your home is built. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under development now. Many of those homes are sold, but there are some available. But also, too, there are some lots available, too. So, you know what? I want to pick a lot. We want to start from the ground up and build a home, get it exactly the way we want it. If that's your plan, give Brooks Bryan a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Brooks, a friend of Starkville, a friend of Mississippi State, part of a great group of developers bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville, just 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. How cool would that be? Got that great walking trail? Pretty exciting stuff. And again, Portico. Make it your next move. Okay. All right, so let me, uh, let's talk about a couple things here if I can read my notes. You know, Zach Arnett, I've told you guys, I'm so impressed, absolutely impressed with everything that he's done so far. Every opportunity that he's had, he has crushed. And when I, you know, look at some of the things that he said and done, you know, it's somewhat reminiscent to Jackie Sherrill. Somewhat reminiscent, you know, Jackie Sherrill gave us you know, some things to um, to feel pr- proud about. You know, he wanted you to have, you know, some confidence. He wanted you to take pride in having that Mississippi State coffee mug with you at work. Those things are important to him. And you get the feeling that Zach Arnett has kind of taken a, uh, you know, a push from some of the things that Jackie said. And, um, you know, he made mention, too, again, like, you know, we're a big-time school, too. 
And we are. I don't know. We've always kind of um, poked our chest out about that, you know. But there are some things that he said about recruiting that I want to talk about. Um, I think, quote, I think we've done a tremendous job of emphasizing ties to the state of Mississippi and the recruiting footprint of 250, 300 miles around campus. We have a staff in place that's going to recruit that footprint harder than anyone. It showed up in our signing class in December. Top 25 recruits in the state of Mississippi, we signed a dozen, which is more than any other school. With the additions we've made to the staff, I expect us to further increase our efforts, keeping the best players in Mississippi and playing at Mississippi State. The staff will be invaluable to me as the head coach. I'd like to wish the best of luck to the four Bulldogs playing in the Super Bowl. We're not talking about mere participants in the game. We're talking about four game records. They will directly impact the outcome of that game, the biggest stage of football. We're proud of the Bulldogs that are still waving the flag, flying the banner to the next level. My latest calculation, there are 28 Bulldogs playing in the NFL. 19 of those either played high school football in Mississippi or played in the junior college system. I think it's fitting to touch on that here on signing day. It's our intention to best players in the state of Mississippi. They don't need to look anywhere else than right here for the best place to develop them on the field. That's our number one goal. Within that footprint, there are a good number of football players as anywhere in the country to win football games and compete in the SEC West. That's music to my ears. You know, I feel like in some respects that maybe we, we have not emphasized Mississippi enough. That's not to say that we should take a Mississippi kid over a better player from another state. But when, when, it's, when all things are equal, you have comparable players and one's from Mississippi, that's a kid you should take. I mean, you look at the evidence of what's happened in the National Football League now. You know, Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, among the best in, in, in the business, right? Darius Slay, one of the highest-paid corners in the country, product of the junior college system. You know, Willie Gay, a guy that grew up just down the road from us, going to take on uh, A.J. Brown. You know, and A.J. Brown, that, that's a big miss for us. It is. I don't blame him for going to Ole Miss because they were airing it out left and right. But the reality of it is, is our recruiting efforts, by and large, should be Mississippi and our border states. And then you spot recruit elsewhere, especially for quarterbacks, right? You, you just go out and get the best quarterback you can get regardless of state of origin. But this is what we've built a program on. Is guys that kind of tucked away in Mississippi that maybe are a little bit under-recruited, that maybe are strong on work ethic and strong on blue-collar appeal, but maybe a little bit light in development. We can help them with that. We can absolutely help them with that. And uh, you know, I, I love the attitude that he has about recruiting to Mississippi. I'm trying to find the quote, too. He went on to say this. He was an answer to my question, too. Um, kind of a lengthy response there. But he talked about, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Um, you know, he's t- He talked about in our recruiting footprint, we have to have the best relationship of all of the guys that recruit that area. There's no question about it. We have got to be in there. And he mentioned like Will James. He goes, you know, you take, if you want to have a relationship with those guys, you kind of got to take their recommendations sometimes too. And so people recommended Will James to us. And he he talked about, they spoke to several people and just simply could not find anybody with anything negative to say about him. And I think that's an important aspect of this thing, too. He, and here, here's the quote. We need to work harder and develop deeper relationship with those coaches than any other staff. And he's talking about, uh, you know, in the end, I want to be the most connected staff to our recruiting footprint of any school who recruits a footprint. You know, that's somewhat reminiscent of what Dan Mullen did. You know, Dan Mullen said 
that we were going to be in every Mississippi high school every year, whether they had a player or not. We're going to have a relationship. We're going to go by and we're going to talk. Because sometimes your coaches may have relationships with coaches at other programs that perhaps they can help shine a light on those guys. But you got to be present. You, you can't just kind of show up at a school when they have a player. How are you going to build a relationship? And some of the most valuable relationships you have are college coaches or high school coaches that can tell you what it's like to play against the players you're recruiting. You know, they've broken them down from a different vantage point. They're not trying to sell you on the kid. And I've been doing this for so long, I've developed a pretty good network of coaches. And I'll ask them, who's the best player you played against last year? And they'll tell me. And there are so many coaches around the great state of Mississippi, and I'm sure that's the case in Louisiana and Alabama, and I've dealt some with them, but not as extensively as I have in Mississippi. That's the best resource. Like, hey, coach, this guy is really good. This coach gave us problems. This, this guy is a big-time player. We couldn't stop him. We couldn't control him. We couldn't block him. And so that's what Zach's kind of, re, kind of referencing, is those guys are going to tell you. And they're not just going to champion their own kids. They're going to tell you, hey, this kid's really good. And sometimes they'll tell you things maybe you don't know. Maybe this guy has some skeletons in his closet. And you got to do your own vetting. But when you have a relationship with kids and you have a relationship with coaches, there's going to be a mutual level of trust established. Not to mention there are many junior college coaches within Mississippi State's network of coaches and say, hey, I'm out recruiting. This guy's going to be a non-qualifier. So, you know, we call Mississippi Gulf Coast and say, hey, there's a linebacker here at, you know, Osceola High School that it's an SEC guy that's not going to qualify. So you guys should get on him. Well, then all of a sudden, everybody benefits from that. Mississippi State sees a kid. They can't sign him or won't sign him. They give the heads up to a school that can the high school benefits, and certainly the kid benefits. And then the next time when State goes in there, they're going to say, you know what, hey, you know, Mississippi State had nothing to gain from this, and they helped our kid find a place to go further his education and further his college career. He got his associate's degree, and now he's at a G5 school or a Power 5 school somewhere. That's an aspect of relationship building. You can't just show up when you need something. And there are a lot of college coaches. It's what they do. And they get out there and they post their picture. So I'm, I'm here, you know, at uh, Hattiesburg High School. Well, where were you the last five years when they didn't have an SEC-level player, right? That's an important aspect of this. And, and if you don't think high school coaches know that, they do. Now, this talk about some schools kind of banning other programs, that's a bit overblown. It's true. There's so many of those uh, schools out there, and those high school coaches just want what's best for their kids. They're not going to deny a kid an opportunity to go play college football because of a rivalry. Just doesn't happen. And then are there some coaches out there that are uh, beholden to Ole Miss? Yes. Are there some coaches out there that are allied with Mississippi State? You better believe it. And if you don't think that that happens, I mean, just look at Starville High School, what we went through here a few years ago. I mean, you know, you had, uh, you had an Ole Miss guy on staff that uh, was, you know, breaking his back using, you know, uh, you know vehicles you know, and driving kids to ball games at Ole Miss. There's nothing illegal about that. You know, but given the opportunity, he's not going to bring them to state game. Right? And, and vice versa. There's some guys out there that are Mississippi State guys that will tell the kids, hey, you know, you know, Ole Miss is not a great place. Now, whether you like it or whether you don't, it happens. But what you do is when you get in a neutral territory, you know, maybe you get a guy that's not part of the rivalry. Maybe they're across the state line in Alabama. And you're the coach that's out there sowing seeds in a relationship. 
who do you think gets the benefit of that? You're in there every year. You're in there helping them get their kids place and helping them find somewhere to go. When there is a kid out there that maybe perhaps is choosing between State and Ole Miss or another program, who do you think the coach favors a little bit? You think that coach is going to do a good job getting that kid to your ballgame? Going to make sure that one of his assistant coaches, if he can't bring him himself, is going to get that kid to a ballgame? Oh, well, our defensive end was invited to Mississippi State game this weekend. Well, you're going to make sure that kid's there because you want to keep the relationship, right? It's like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to disappoint Zach and those guys because they've helped us in the past. They're in here every year. That's the kind of recruiting we're talking about. Recruiting's not just what happens year to year with certain prospects. It's how you cultivate the footprint. It's how you build relationships. I mean, how many high school coaches, I mean, all of you at some point know a high school coach or have known a high school coach. I can tell you, it means an awful lot to them that the coaches stop by, even if it's just to check in. Because sometimes you never know when a guy's transferred in. You know, we saw that a couple of years ago. You had some guys show up at Biloxi High School. They weren't around during the spring. They show up in the summer. Next thing you know, they're playing, right? It's important to understand that. You don't know that if you don't have a relationship. They're not, they're not going to feel obligated to tell you. They're not going to call you and say, hey, we just had this kid transfer in from New Orleans that can really play. He's a Power 5 player. And, but who do you think gets the first call when those calls are made? They're not just going to cold call everybody. They're going to call the coaches they know. They're going to say, you know what, hey, this coach is always in here. I want to give him an opportunity to recruit this kid. And I love what Zach's doing on the recruiting trail. I absolutely love it. You know, that when Dan was here, that was one of the things that was always a point of pride, is that we were in every Mississippi high school every single year. It was. And you, you got Tony Hughes, he doesn't need a roadmap. He can take you to all those places. We kind of got away from that a little bit. We did over the course of the last two coaches. And one of the things that I'll share with you, I mean, that now that, you know, everybody's gone, I guess in some ways I'm a coward for not talking about it before, but you know, there was a lot of bureaucracy in who got offers at Mississippi State, right, over the course of the last few years. There was. There were, there were some people that would say, I'm not sure, let's see him in camp or whatever. And it's kind of like the Dante Daldell situation. You know, if we handle that thing differently, he's a bulldog today, I believe. It was talk that he wanted to commit back in the spring, and we were reluctant to offer him because we weren't sure if he was a running back. Is he a linebacker? You know, my estimation on that is it's kind of like the Ty Jones situation. The kid's a football player. Let's just kind of take him and figure it out. But that's a guy on your natural recruit, recruiting footprint at a school like Picayune that is routinely going to have players. They're not always going to be SEC players, but they play a really good brand of football down there at Picayune. And I understand if you offer an in-state kid, you better be ready to take him because if he wants to commit and you don't take him, now you've broken the relationship. So you can't offer kids you're not willing to take in-state. It's one thing, like you look back at the Ed Orgeron uh, years at Ole Miss, they were so proud of the fact that they extended thousands of offers or whatever. But, you know, it's basically a get-in-the-boat type thing. You offer some kid in California, he's like, hey, well, Coach, I want to commit. Well, it's not. let's get you on campus first. Let's get you a chance. And then by the time you get to camp, you know, they don't, they don't come to camp and you can decide if you really want them or not. You know, so a lot of there's a just different approach, not to say one's better or worse than the other. But when it comes to in-state recruiting, you can't offer a kid and then not be willing to take his commitment later. And we, listen, we've made some mistakes over the years with in-state kids. It's not just, you know, being reluctant to offer guys. There have been sometimes we've offered kids and had to drop them. So you better be sure. 
because it'll fracture a relationship. And I think Zach's one of those guys, too, that, that understands that aspect of it. I mean, we sat there on yesterday and, you know, talked Southern Rock, and he had his boots on and his jacket. I mean, he looks a little different, right? He does. It's a new experience for him. But he has aligned himself with some people that know the state of Mississippi exceptionally well, starting with Tony Hughes. I mean, why anybody wouldn't keep Tony Hughes on staff is, would be amazing to me. You bring David Turner back. You bring in Chad Bumpus. You hang on to Rod Gibson. You bring in Will Friend, a guy that's from Neshoba Central. And so you bring in guys that don't have to go and introduce themselves. You know, their reputation kind of precedes them. There's already this relationship. So you don't have to work quite as hard to establish that relationship. That's important to understand. Recruiting is about relationships. And it's not just necessarily with the player and the parents. You got to know the people around them. You got to know who the difference makers are. You got to know who the decision makers are. You got to know who's in the kid's ear. It's just like the situation with Jonathan Davis. State and Ole Miss both had people close to the kid. And it's not that they placed them there. It just happened to be people that uh, were in the kid's life that maybe preferred State or Ole Miss. And so you've got people out there that are kind of saying, hey, well, this is what I like about Mississippi State. This is what I like about Ole Miss. And it leads to some confusion. It does. It's not to say anything improper happened. And I was like, I, you know, I read and see that stuff. And listen, obviously, there are some things that go on in recruiting that shouldn't. But in this situation here, it all happened so late. I mean, goodness, if there had been a year's worth of recruiting, it may be a little different, you know, because you get all this anticipation. You get to know the kids. You follow them during their senior season. They come to your camp. You kind of track their, uh, their game day visits and things like that. So you get emotionally invested in the outcome. Well, none of you really got to know Jonathan Davis, but there was a tug-of-war of sorts down there in Monticello. You know, some Ole Miss people wanting him to go to Ole Miss. There were state people that wanted him to go to state. Doesn't mean anybody did anything they shouldn't have. But all this happened in a very abbreviated time frame for Jonathan Davis. But you know, in the end, the relationship building mattered. That's the thing Zach brought up. He said he pulled out, a, pulled out his phone and showed the picture and said, hey, we were back here in December. You know, we didn't wait for Texas to offer to get serious about you. We were already in the process of kind of, you know, getting this thing going. And it matters. And that's why I think offering in-state kid matters most. That's why anybody that we offer this early, I mean, anybody that we offered prior to National Signing Day in the state of Mississippi, that's a kid we really want. We didn't need to gather more information. We didn't need to see him in the spring evaluation period. We didn't need him to come back to camp. Hey, if we've offered a Mississippi kid for the class of 2024 – Prior to February 1st, you better believe we believe in that kid's ability and that we're willing to take that commitment because you wouldn't offer that kid this early and then say, well, I'm not sure. It just didn't work that way. So it's important to understand that Zach Arnett, I think, gets the recruiting aspect of it, and we've had some head coaches in the past that have kind of been content to let their assistants do it, but I kind of get the impression Zach's going to be very involved in every aspect of this. Every aspect of it. I know, listen, you know, talking to some coaches over the course of the last three years, you know, they would maybe have a linebacker or defensive back they really liked. And they'd have to go win Zach over. Say, hey, I like this kid. And if Zach wasn't comfortable with the kid or didn't think he fit, didn't think that he would be productive, then Zach said, I need to see more of him. Not ready to go. And so – I think that is an important aspect of it. This is a coach in the past has been willing to say, hey, we're, let's, let's don't move on this quite yet as a coordinator. And so now as a head coach, you know, he's going to be kind of like Dan and in some respects, uh, 
you know, Joe, we're not going to take a commitment unless everybody is in agreement here. You know, but ultimately it's Zach's program. And Zach's going to be very involved in that aspect of it. I mean, he would not have gone out and targeted Mississippi recruiters as well as he has. And bringing in Brad Peterson was huge too. Bringing Brad back, I didn't think Brad would be back. I thought Brad might at some point go coach again, but I didn't think he'd be back in, you know, in a uh, off-the-field type role. But, again, it's not just Zach Arnett getting up in a press conference and you know, coming up with a creative hashtag or wearing a hoodie with some you know, stupid slogan on it. He's doing the things that really matter. It's not just a wind-addressing approach. He's went out and hired coaches that know our recruiting footprint well, that know the Mississippi State story well. And he mentioned yesterday he's bringing in some off-the-field type people to help on the recruiting aspect of it too, people that, uh, that know Mississippi. And so the commitment to in-state recruiting is there. Again, it's not just a hashtag. It's a real thing. And there are so many people out there that say, well, you know, so-and-so's from Mississippi, and that's true. But, you know, how much of a relationship do they have with the coaches in Mississippi? And I, th- I know when Chad Bumpus has been gone, when he was at Austin P, when he was at Utah, he continued to recruit the state of Mississippi, continued to maintain those relationships. So I'm excited about the staff. I'm excited about the direction of things. Uh, and, again, Zach is absolutely crushing it. And, uh, you know, again, the offensive coordinator thing kind of lingered on. But, man, did it end well or not? If you haven't read Kevin Barbe's Q&A, you can go read it. Mike Nima transcribed that yesterday. Go check it out. An impressive guy. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about spring football, but I'm, I'm glad that our coaches and our players kind of get a chance to exhale a little bit. Uh, Bump told me that uh, he was leaving yesterday to go back to Salt Lake City and pack up the house, getting ready to make the move, going to live here in Starkville. It's an exciting aspect of things too. But uh, I, I'm very confident in the staff. I'm confident in the direction that things are going. And I think that our recruiting plan is probably the best we've had in some time. And, I, and to be honest with you, I think that goes back to the Dan Mullen era. I, I think we're going to be more thorough. And uh, Dan and those guys weren't always as aggressive as they should be. But one of the things they did right is they prioritized Mississippi. And you go back to Dan Mullen's very first press conference. We want Mississippi State to be the place where kids grow up in Mississippi and say, you know what, I can achieve all my dreams right here in my home state at Mississippi State. That's one of the things that we did right. We absolutely did that right under Dan Mullen. And I think we're getting back to that in many respects. We will prioritize Mississippi. And uh, we'll, we'll use the transfer portal to kind of supplement. But, uh, again, I'm excited about the direction of things. You should be too. I uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. I apologize again for yesterday. You know, sometimes life happens, man. But I'll be back tomorrow. We'll get back on schedule. You know, life would be a whole lot easier at times, like if you didn't have an emotional investment in other people, right? It also would not be very rewarding, right? I mean, that's the, be- the best thing about life is other people. You know, like, no man's an island or no woman's an island, no, no matter how you want to say it these days. The bottom line is this, is that love is all we have and family is all we have. And uh, thankfully, this is not my immediate family, but it is a member of my family. And, you know, I've been incredibly concerned and, uh, you know, duty still calls, but, uh, Again, I encourage you as always, stay in contact with your friends and your family and make sure they know how much you love them because you never know what somebody's dealing with. I had somebody recently tell me that they just felt totally alone. I've had those feelings sometimes too. You know, it's like, and, and sometimes it's like your own head playing games with you and you start thinking, well, there's so-and-so and so-and-so and I wish all these people would stop calling. I've got all these emails I've got to return. Well, you know, it's because you matter. And one of the greatest things that I've, that I've uh, seen recently, and I can't remember who said it, um, but it said, uh, never underestimate the hole in the world that, you know, your absence would leave. Some of those words, you know, it's like you begin to think about, oh, well, nobody loves me or whatever. And, you know, 
it's just not true. It's just not true. And, and you see it all the time, like when there's an unexpected passing, and it's like you just see the devastation in other people's lives because sometimes we feel like we're going to live forever. And it's important to understand that you matter. And we don't always do a great job of saying that, right? We don't. We don't. And, I, and I'll, I'll venture to say with like within my family, I'm probably the most, and you guys, I mean, I, I write all these words, I say all these words. I tell everybody all the time how much I love them. I mean, when, when uh, before, like, before I end any conversation with any of my kids or my wife, one of the last things I tell them is I love them. I guess I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to do it again, right? But not only that, too, I don't want anybody that I love to live in question. They say, well, you know, Steve, it's just, you know, it's your actions. And that's true, too. I, I back it up with actions. But is there anything better in life than being able to say I love you, too, because somebody said it to you first? It's a gift for somebody to love you. And, and you, there's so many things, too. People are like, well, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. You know, that's, that's one thing that separates us from the animals, right? Is that we have, we have you know, be free-thinking individuals. And uh, we, we know not to get involved in situations we shouldn't. Sometimes we make those mistakes, and we end up paying for the price for it. Uh, but, you know, love is the most pure thing that's, that's ever happened. And I have love conquers all written in Latin on my arm, tattooed on my arm. Because that's the thing that's always gotten me through. You know, when I was fighting through the throes of addiction, you know, it's like my mother's love and prayers and the people that love me. You know, and when you're caught in all that stuff, you can't see it. And you try to convince yourself that it's not real, but it is real. And all of a sudden you get a moment of clarity and you're like, wait a minute, these people really do care about me. And when you're in the middle of all that stuff and things are negative and you feel like everybody's attacking you because they're so just disappointed, right? They're just so disappointed in you. And you think they don't really love me. Well, you know, sometimes the better part of loving somebody is telling them the truth. You know, I'm telling you the truth because I love you and I want you to be okay. I want you to live life and live life more abundantly. I'm not going to be a co-conspirator on your demise and just be quiet. If I didn't love you, that's what I would do. And I think what's interesting, I've talked about this a lot recently. I won't, I won't get into details. But I had somebody tell me. You know, they were talking about somebody, you know, and they said, uh, I just want them to be happy. And I said, what the hell do you know about being happy? What? I said, well, what do you know about being happy? And they just kind of looked at me, and they were so offended, and I was glad they were because it was offensive to me that you're going to sit here and talk about happiness, and you don't even pursue it in your own life. It's like you've got all these issues. You, know, you have no relationship here, no relationship there, no relationship here. You basically do this and do that. Why aren't you invested in your own happiness instead of wanting somebody else to be happy? There's so much of that these days, and I'm not going to preach very long about this. You know, we talk about self-love and self-care and all this other stuff, you know, and uh, there's an element of, uh, of selfishness in every bit of that. Not say it's not important, but we can't let the pendulum swing too far in one direction, you know, because the thing that we've been taught our whole lives by people that, that truly matter, you know, is it's love for other people. You know, the greatest joy that I get in life is the love that I share for other people. I must get embarrassed, like when my wife buys me a gift, like I don't feel like I deserve it or whatever. Maybe that's an insecurity thing or whatever, but I would rather spend that money on her, right? I'd rather us go do something together. But I do, I get, you know, and I need things, obviously, and she's the one that buys them. You know, but I get no greater joy. I'll give you a quick example. I, I sent her a care package through Amazon, which is amazing to be able to do that, um, you know, I, I, she doesn't get a chance to go shop much because she's working all the time. And so I, I just sent her a care package, you know, just some, some chips and some Gatorade and, you know, some healthy snacks and things like that. I didn't even tell her. 
I just sent it. And I knew I had this little secret with myself, me and the Amazon delivery people. And she gets ready to go to work yesterday, and she walks outside, and there's two boxes from Amazon. She didn't have a chance to open them. And I joke with her, and she's like, well, what is all this? I said, I don't know. I didn't send it, you know. <laughs> and she goes, yes, you did. Yes, you did. What, what is all this? And so I told her. And this morning, she gets off work, and she goes home, and she opens up all her stuff, and she's all excited. You know, and it's like I get so much joy from that because I love her so much. And something as simple as that. You know, just something is, hey, I'm going to go online and shop for this because I want to make your life easier. You know, it's not some big thing. It's not some diamond ring. You know, it's a, it's a bunch of Quest protein chips and some protein bars and some Gatorade and some, you know, some peanuts and things like that. You know, coffee filters, just stuff like that. I mean, just needful things. But I get such a kick out of that. It makes me feel better about me knowing that I'm doing something better for her. And it's like I do the same thing with my kids sometimes. I'll just order them something and they don't even know about it. It just kind of shows up. And sometimes maybe you don't have the ability to do that. But, you know, time is important. And telling people you love them are important. And that's why sometimes I get so confused, right? It's like you begin, like when somebody that you love is struggling, and thankfully nobody in my immediate family is. And I've got a lot of people reach out. And everything is fine. My wife and I are great. My kids are great. This is somebody in my family that I love very much. And you begin to kind of question yourself and you say to yourself, you know, have I done enough? Have I told them that I love them enough? Because people get in a dark place and people, there's so much again about the self thing. You know, it's like, well, you're in charge of your own happiness. Well, that's true to an extent. But if that's true completely, then why do I get so happy when I'm with my wife and kids and their contributions to my life? It makes me happy. Spending time with them makes me happy, and I, I don't have a lot of control over that. I can't just make myself happy. There is a need for other people and other relationships that make me happy. And that's an aspect of things that I think is often forgotten. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. And until then, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC, out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.